Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. This is our last podcast of the year, so I thought we'd talk about something festive today, happiness. Journalism is a profession that is so often blighted by negative emotions like sadness, fear, anger, and so on. Today, we will explore how we can find genuine joy and happiness in our work to counterbalance these emotions and help us continue doing our jobs. Speaking with me is Avery Holton, Chair of the Department of Communication at the University of Utah and the co-editor of a new book, Happiness in Journalism. It explores the need to bottle the highs in our lives to get through the inevitable lows. Part of that is an individual responsibility to manage our own emotions, but managers also need to make a genuine effort to maintain happiness levels in the newsroom. Stay tuned to find out how. Avery, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. Thanks ever so much for coming on to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. It's great to have you. It feels like the perfect time of year to be talking about happiness in journalism, which is the topic of a new book that you've co-authored. Um, not having written a book, I imagine that it's a very exhausting experience. And so just to get the, the ball moving, I did want to ask whether you've come across any really good advice in the process of writing this book, which has personally helped you out in this undertaking. Mm-hmm. Such a good question. And you're right. I mean, a, a book, this is the first book um, that I've published, and I'm thankful to have co-authors Valerie Blair Gagnon and, and Mark Dues and Claudia Milato in this book. It is in itself um, a handbook or maybe a, a sort of um, guidebook for happiness in general to hear global voices, um, not only in what helps journalists be happy, but what helps uh, researchers and many of my colleagues be happy. And the things that I've learned from this book and spending about two years on it are that happiness is different for each individual. And we have a real opportunity, um, not only to search for our own happiness, but to find what makes others happy and to see if there are ways that we can at least acknowledge that and support that as we go. And for me, at least, I found that it's helped me find my own happiness, um, to find by listening to others and, and trying to support them, to find ways that I can fill the gaps or little voids in my life, but also to look out for the things around me that um, make me happiness. And so it feels like happiness itself is this sort of network um, that runs between us. And just by paying attention to one another and and approaching one another with acknowledgement and kindness, um, we can really help one another be happy. And it it sounds a little sappy, like the, the version of me two years ago might have said, oh, um, and guffawed at that a little bit. But no longer, right? Um, it really means something to see one another and to be in space with one another and, and to share the journey. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up because I was just thinking with your response there that happiness can change depending on who we are at that moment in time. You know, Avery, you and I both have young families and I'm sure mm-hmm. Avery of uh, two years ago would be in a completely different headspace than than what you are right now. So I just wonder if that's a lesson you've taken away from the book, that what makes us happy depends on the circumstances we're currently dealing with at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think there are different kinds of happiness, and you, and you nailed it, that happiness can be um, temporal, right? Um, it can change with time. It can change in, in moments, right? We can wake up in a, a good or bad mood and figure out how to work through that. Um, events happen all around us all the time. I think the 
the real key for me, um, having a new family, having um, a great academic job, traveling, those things, um, I've learned to balance a bit more and lean into the very things that uh, make me happy, but also challenge me to find new ways of happiness. And new babies um, are one way to do that, but also um, the changing landscape uh, around us, right? Uh, media landscape around us, particularly the last uh, three or four years, has really challenged us um, to redefine what happiness might be in those media spaces and to look for um, areas that aren't always so dark, right? It's very easy to get trapped in conversations that lean into um, the darker side of events around us. And we have to acknowledge those and, and, and figure out how they fit into our um, psyche or our norms. But we also have an opportunity to um, lift those up who are covering those events, to elevate our own knowledge, to think about the people who are being impacted and to take away from that, um, you know, the, the joy elements of our own lives as well. Yeah. I think we need multiple things that make us happy, though, as well, because the things that make us happy don't always make us happy. You know, <laughs> as parents, um, we can find great joy and satisfaction in, in our kids. But of course, that's a very stressful and testing experience at times. The same true, of course, with our jobs that as journalists, we can find great satisfaction and joy in doing our jobs. But it's also a very challenging experience. So for those low moments, we need other things in our lives to find comfort in, right? I, I agree. And I think too, if we carry around a want to be happy, um, or at least to focus on our own well-being and find the things that keep us grounded, that helps us in those moments that are a little more challenging and trying. Um, it also helps us approach them with a sense of gratitude that even if they're challenging moments, that they're happening. Um, they're moments that are ours to, to keep and hold on to. Um, and that's really helped me. And I will say the book, um, the, the Happiness in Journalism book, has also helped me understand um, not only the people around me, but, but people globally, right? There are dozens of authors who um, contributed to this book as well with their own chapters and perspectives to teach me um, the challenges that they're facing and, and what makes them happy and also what makes them unhappy. And, and we have that other side of this, right? The yin and yang of this, that we're also going to have unhappiness um, daily, if not momentary, that we have to grapple with as well. Yeah. And I think that's very much my assessment of the book in that we're not talking here about being permanently happy and let's be happy, clappy with journalists. You know, it, it, it doesn't work that way. Uh, really happiness and the role of happiness in journalism and indeed in other aspects of our lives is to provide counterbalance to the negativity, the inevitable negativity that is going to be part and partial of those experiences, right? Um, is that about right? Or is there anything else that's really spoken to you uh, in this book? Oh, I, th I think that's exactly right. You know, what you'll hear in, in this book and really from um, talking with journalists more broadly is um, a dedication to, to journalism and to the creation and, and engagement in and sharing of journalism that, yes, includes happiness and, yes, includes unhappiness, but also includes um, a, a sort of dedication, um, a civic dedication to sharing news and information that somehow improves um, the community around a journalist. And that can be through knowledge, through information, through um, contextualization. And these purveyors of information um, are extremely important 
to us and, and to the communities around us, whether locally or, or globally. And we have to do something to um, protect them. News organizations have to do more to protect them in these instances. And we're no longer talking just about journalists covering wartime issues and very traumatic instances. We're talking about journalists working um, 24-7, balancing professional and personal lives, um, being harassed in social and digital media spaces constantly to the point where many journalists now say they expect that daily. Um, and telling us as the public, but also telling news organizations, they're, they're right on the edge, right? Burnout is here. Um, they're experiencing this greatly. And this is at a time when newsrooms and journalism need them the most, right? Need journalists the most. Um, they're telling us we are not all well. Um, we know what, what can make us happy. We know what can make us unhappy. We need more support to um, have a systemic or systematic approach to happiness and, and well-being. Yeah. Elaborate on that, if you would, Avery, in terms of A, what have you found makes journalists happy, generally speaking? And B, how do you formalize that? How do you make that into a, as you say, a systemic um, process mm -hmm. from, from the organization's point of view? Happiness, again, changes for each individual, um, dependent on, on the day and the moment and the conditions they're in. But what doesn't seem to change is this sort of um, general idea of having joy, right? And one of the authors in the book, Greg Perot, talks about this, that um, sometimes we can't exactly say why we're happy or what makes us giddy in a moment, but um, we can tell someone that we, that we feel a certain level of joy and sometimes we can do that by saying um, what we're not happy about or what's challenging us the most. So many of the journalists talk about um, first what makes them unhappy. And these uh, broadly or these sort of connective threads include this 24-7 work cycle that began in the early 2000s, um, being expected to be um, on social media spaces using sort of the tenets of uh, traditional journalism, so objectivity, truth, um, expedience, but also navigating audience wants that aren't always about objectivity, that might be about human voice um, and embedding elements of the human side in that. It's a precarious position for journalists to be in, where they're sharing their personal lives with the very um, people who might eventually um, harass them or traumatize them or, or engage with them. So journalists tell us that, but more so they tell us that um, they're, they're burned out and burnout has become normalized for them. That every day they're working in the space where they're tired, um, they're facing harassment, both internally, sometimes from their own uh, news organizations and other journalists, but more so from audiences. They're worried about their family. They're worried about themselves and there's not much support there for them. And so they tend to tell us um, the ways that they're unhappy. And when we hear that, we can say, well, things that might happen, the easy solutions are, um, let's pay journalists more. Let's ask them to work um, a more regular work cycle. Let's give them breaks where they have time off on the weekends or whatever their sabbatical or Sabbath might look like. Let's um, give them opportunities to be more communal with one another and to take time off when they've covered a, a difficult story. Those are the easy things from the outside to, to say, let's fix that. The harder parts are um, the resistance of news organizations to that. News organizations tend um, to still see happiness and unhappiness as a very individual issue. 
um, not theirs to, to take on, that this is something that, um, well, if you're unhappy, maybe this isn't the field for you. If you're unhappy, um, maybe you need to grow thicker skin um, or um, to, to use a more uh, American phrase, man up um, and, and get the job done. And uh, newsrooms tend to say these things. And again, it's not all. There's some that are, that are taking steps to support their journalists, but they tend to say this while also um, keeping pay and working conditions the same, right? They haven't changed much over the last decade or so. So we know that there, there's a problem and we know that news organizations can step in and help journalists um, who they employ. What's really fun and interesting is to listen to uh, freelance journalists, right? Those who are not connected or bound up um, as tightly by the policies or norms of newsrooms. They can tell us a lot because they tell us we set our own schedules and that feels a bit freeing, that autonomy. Um, if we're not making enough money, sometimes we can find it another gig because we have time. Um, that gives them some sort of financial stability. If we're not happy covering one topic over and over again, or it's beginning to feel like burnout, we can switch. Um, we can be expert in, in multiple areas. And when we feel harassed, uh, we can do something about it without being bound up by the policies of our, our newsroom that tell us, well, we can't engage, or we can't take up for ourselves, or we can't file um, a complaint with a social media platform. So we can also look to freelancers to tell us a bit about uh, solutions to unhappiness. Okay, let's recap. Thinking about what makes us unhappy can help us focus on what does make us happy. For instance, journalists often complain about the demands of a constant news cycle, maintaining a presence on social media, or feeling like they have to maintain the status quo without being able to try new things. When you flip it, you can see some easy solutions, changing reporting beats, social media detoxes, and greater praise for bringing in new ideas. Harder to solve is this idea of internal resistance, and that there are certain negative aspects of the job that journalists are expected to take on the chin, like long hours, harassment, low salaries. What Avery and his co-authors have found is that employers who take mental health seriously, as in beyond an HR issue, are also those who report happier journalists, and happier journalists feel better equipped to do their jobs. One of the most practical things you can do is survey your workforce and simply ask what support they need. Because by not asking, you are compounding the sense of isolation amongst your journalists. Silence can be seen as turning away from an issue rather than leaning into it. And what's exciting is, you know, newsrooms, um, at least some that, that we've heard, especially at the, the local level, have begun asking their journalists these questions. You know, what, what can we do? to um, assist. Here are the clues, right? The crumbs are already here. Um, you can try out some of the things that are listed as prescriptives in this work, or you can look at the data um, that comes from these journalists through surveys and ethnographies and interviews to maybe better understand not only your own journalists, but the climate that they're in, the, the climate around them, and then do something about it so that the care for journalists the care for their mental health and well-being and happiness doesn't become palliative. It doesn't happen after the fact. Instead, um, it becomes centered, right? It becomes um, the very thing or the, the very starting point for an early career journalist or a new journalism culture that centers happiness and well-being and understands that that's the key to 
recruiting new journalists, but also retaining the very good journalists who, who are there, but again, are right on the edge of uh, burning out of the, the profession. Right. But all of this doesn't diminish or uh, undermine the importance of some of that more low-hanging fruit you, t- you spoke about earlier on, like the, the increased flexible work, um, in- increased salaries. Um, all of these things do add up to, and, and build into the picture, right? Oh, of course, right? I mean, who, who doesn't want to be paid a little bit more? But more so, you know, salary um, can indicate to an individual that their worth and their value and the investment. And most people um, understand um, the ways that salaries work or understand the industry that they're getting into and what the pay will look like there. So uh, beyond salary, these can, uh, other components can come as time off. Right. Um, in some of the work that I've done with Valerie Blair Gagnon um, in interviewing journalists, uh, this in the U.S., journalists are telling us now that they're often working six or seven days a week. And this work can come um, not when they're out in the field or on the beat or working on a story, but when they're holding their cell phone or they're opening their computer and they're engaging with audiences or they're hearing from their editors. They never have any time off. So if salary um, can't be lifted more robustly for journalists, why not enrich their happiness with uh, another day off or hard time off um, where um, through careful planning and also through support uh, for that journalist, they can have a Friday or Saturday or Sunday off, or they can have time off with their families, or they can have time off to do the other things that that make them happy, right? And that's akin to uh, a host of other professions, right? Uh, This isn't saying... Uh, pay journalists more and ignore other professions or give journalists more time off. um, But other professions don't have that here. We're talking about just the normal um, models of work that in the U S might be working 9am to 5pm, five days a week. Um, Why not allow for more flexibility in that space, or at least hold journalists to that, that low bar and don't require them to work more than that. And if we know, if, if news organizations know that their journalists um, are struggling or facing challenges, offer them time off, you know, more time off, a three-day weekend um, or a flexible schedule where they come in at different times or working a different beat for a while so that they, they're supported, right? And, and they have time to breathe. Yeah, it certainly feels like journalists uh, are expected to put up with potentially adverse conditions because they're a journalist and that comes with the territory of being a journalist. You know, long hours um, can be sometimes a thankless job. But once you start eroding away at that, uh, some of those other elements you speak about there when they're feeling underappreciated, overworked, underpaid that can surely erode away at that sense of purpose and the one thing that's maybe keeping them going. Because um, once you start chipping away at that, the the foundations of what's keeping them going, uh, I'd imagine that's a bit of a momentum and that can really put them on the path to, to burnout, to job dissatisfaction and ultimately unhappiness. Yeah, if there's not a strong foundation there, then the questions um, become more difficult to answer when a journalist says, why am I working these long hours? Why am I dealing with this um, harassment on on Twitter or X or uh, Instagram? Why am I um, giving more time away instead of spending it with my family? Why am I um, forcing myself to go into the office when I am feeling 
depressed or feeling a level of um, post-traumatic stress from an event I covered, why do I continue to do this? And with the foundation's not strong, um, it's, it's difficult to answer that. I should say here too, though, we have talked with journalists um, who are very well compensated and do have time off. Um, here I'm thinking in the U.S. of sports journalists who work in very large cities for, for um, large news organizations who have told us um, that the money is great. Um, the sort of glamour of the position is fantastic. But at the end of the day, news organizations not having our back when we are harassed by our audience um, or not giving us some sort of agency or support to face that harassment. There's not a price for that. And several of the journalists we've talked to have said they, they've either left and come back because of that, or they've tried to come up with their own ways um, to handle harassment. And those can be very precarious for them as individuals. Or that when they've talked to their news organizations, the organizations have sort of wagged um, the finances in front of them and said, well, you're paid a six-figure salary. You should just deal with this. Um, and, and they can't. We all have our individual breaking point when it comes to our happiness and, and well-being. Yeah, we explored something similar on our last episode with Dr. Anthony Feinstein, um, a renowned psychologist uh, who's worked a lot in uh, the psychological tolls of, of being a journalist, uh, particularly in, in adverse conditions. And he said that the uh, the single biggest protective layer a journalist has is their supportive network. Um, and often that will be enough to help them through pretty adverse and poor conditions, uh, working conditions for being a journalist, to even put themselves in harm's way. So we can't underestimate the importance of having a strong uh, support network and just the importance of feeling like you're in a workplace where people have your back um, and you're kind of in this in this fight together if that makes sense yeah he, he's exactly right and that's such a good point if you have a strong community uh, there's staying power in that um, and oftentimes we see this show up in news rooms and organizations through stories and coverage um, an editor or publisher having our back when we have to use a particular source or we have a an angle that um, might impact local politics or things at the community level. Where we still aren't seeing it quite enough are in these areas of um, harassment that come from audiences, um, of personal, blending the personal and professional life and an understanding that... Um, a news organization asking a journalist to put themselves out there on social media alongside their family can create certain precarities um, that, that make online harassment just as impactful, if not more so than offline physical forms of harassment. And if newsrooms aren't in those spaces, and if journalists don't feel like news organizations have their back in those moments to push back on audiences or to push back um, on social media platforms or to create new cultures and ways for journalists to operate in these spaces, then it makes for a precarious daily work environment. And, and what we might say um, is an occupational hazard. And this is an idea that um, scholars like Valerie Belair-Gagnon and Kathleen Searles and others are working on um, to, to help 
potentially help news organizations um, find a pathway to supporting happiness. If we stop saying um, harassment, for example, um, is a norm of journalism and start saying it is an occupational hazard of journalism, then newsrooms can potentially put better resources um, toward journalists when harassment happens or before it happens. So in some ways we can, if, if newsrooms are resistant to the idea of happiness, um, we can reframe the conversation for them a bit to say, um, well, there are approaches to this that might be different. And if we start looking at unhappiness as an occupational hazard, then um, it's a bit easier potentially to, to approach. Right, because as you've already alluded to, there's there's one of two alternatives if we don't do this. One is that we essentially uh, dismiss the emotions and say, well, this is part of the territory of being a journalist. Suck it up, um, put up or shut up. Um, or the other alternative, I suppose, is burying your emotions and just not dealing with them at all, repressing them. Neither, of course, um, particularly good or particularly desirable. Um, it's also true, and this is well documented, that journalists historically have found happiness and comfort in the wrong sort of places and here i'm really talking about drinking culture mm -hmm. and one thing i do want to ask you is how do we support journalists so that they don't go down that route and to um avoid that trap what would you say yeah such such a good point and you know in our research we found that some of the um some of the pathways journalists have been pointed down again are very individualistic so uh, these are some of the comments that journalists that we've interviewed have faced um, when they do look for support from their news organizations. They've been told to uh, take a yoga class or, or go work out or to join a running group that's already in um, their news organization or to um, talk to another journalist. So, so for example, women journalists and journalists of color um, are often forced into their own sort of isolation, even more so uh, than other journalists when they talk about harassment or negative culture. And some of those journalists, women journalists that we've talked to have said they've been told to uh, go have a glass of wine or uh, by an editor, hey, I know of this other woman journalist who's been harassed as well. Maybe if you talk to her, you'll, you'll feel better. Uh, these are very individualistic and, and very dismissive um, and news organizations can change that culture right? By um, putting themselves or, or putting happiness, again, in the center of a culture that they create. And happiness often can start in very small forms, right? Um, we've seen it start as small as news organizations hosting a, a weekly lunch where the community sort of gathers and talks so that they can see one another and acknowledge one another. We've seen it come in the form of new policies, so very large-scale changes um, new policies that if a journalist experiences acute forms of harassment in social media, they would be allowed time off and they would be um, given resources that are akin to uh, counseling um, and not instead given a video to watch about how to deal with something on their own. It's difficult too um, when we think about burnout and, and the result, what burnout can look like, right? For different uh, journalists, it can look like depression. It can look like acute alcoholism. It can look like um, associated psychological disorders, overeating, undereating, um, attitudinal and behavioral changes. Th those can all sort of come about and really impact not only the way that journalism is done, 
um, on a daily basis, but the lives of journalists outside of that, right? It can impact their friends, uh, their family, their wives and husbands and, and children in very deep ways. And the journalists that we've talked to have often said when they begin seeing the impact of burnout or the impact of trauma or harassment um, in the eyes of others around them, that's when they really step back and say, should I be here anymore? So what can news organizations do? They can start as simply as acknowledging that, right? Um, from the top down and the bottom up, acknowledging that and centering that in their cultural climate, right? And making sure that they understand journalists have individual needs, that um, there should not be a stigma and that, that newsrooms can help break the stigma around mental health and wellness, um, that they should be supporting the community of journalists they have. And that news organizations really have an opportunity here to stand up and create at, a, at what I would argue is a defining moment to create a new culture of happiness and well-being for their journalists. Because if they don't, and if they continue to go down the pathway of um, have another drink, have a yoga class, grow thicker skin, they're going to isolate and alienate journalists and push them out of their organizations at a time where they cannot afford to do that. And that can have major financial consequences that can have sustainability consequences. And it could also give rise to what we're already seeing the sort of creator um, news creator content that freelancers are producing that competes directly with news organizations. So the, the time is now to, invest in journalists happiness and, and well-being among news organizations so genuine empathy and understanding um not pizza parties <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I like pizza too don't get me wrong um but what's you got to have some measure of humanity built alongside the, the pepperoni slices <laughs> <laughs> for, for the uninitiated it's a running internet joke um about corporates that make half-hearted attempts to um satisfy their employees by throwing a pizza party um but i think that speaks to the opposite point which is that you know that corporate generic cliche idea feels disingenuous it doesn't feel very empathetic it feels kind of like half-hearted what you're saying is genuine empathy uh will will pave the way yeah let, let's not throw things um at individuals once or twice a year let's be there alongside them and have an experience with them Super. Okay, Avery, final question from me. What makes you happy? It's been a while since anybody asked me that question. <laughs> um, you know what, what really makes me happy? Um, gosh, I'm kind of getting emotional. Um, maybe, maybe this is the, the enactment of that. What really makes me happy now um, is seeing the joy in people around me. Um, seeing the joy in my family and in my wife and um, my my kiddos and my colleagues and my friends and it lifts me up in ways that are unexpected and unintended and enriching beyond anything else I can think of in my life and I wouldn't trade 
those forms of happiness or those moments or those connections for for anything thank you for sharing that avery i really do appreciate it and i appreciate your time coming on our podcast and speaking to me all the best with the book and happy holidays yeah thank you so much and happy holidays my takeaway for today is not to isolate and alienate journalists because we need them desperately when journalists feel unsupported unfulfilled and unappreciated it's a matter of time before they leave the industry and move on Conversely, journalists who feel truly happy in their work are those who feel the newsroom has their best interests in mind and have their back when the going gets tough. So gather your festive spirit and show some genuine support and empathy to your colleagues, managers and reporters. I'd love to know what you took from today's conversation. Find me on LinkedIn, Twitter slash X at JPG Journalism or email me on jacobatjournalism.co.uk. You can check out all of our episodes on all your usual podcast platforms, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Just search and subscribe to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. But that's all we have time for this week. We'll be back in the new year. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful Christmas.